0: The Ranger Ryan Show. Based off of my podcast history, it was very clear that I'd be talking about a Jim Henson film at some point, uh, especially now that we're talking about fantasy films. Uh, This film is a 1986 musical fantasy, check, got it, official Wikipedia fantasy label there, uh, directed by Jim Henson with George Lucas as executive producer. And it is a film about... 16-year-old Sarah whose baby brother was stolen by the Goblin King and she must enter the labyrinth to embark on a quest to reach the center and find her brother Toby, her half-brother Toby, by the way um, who she wished away to Jareth the Goblin King and uh, watched it with the family It's hard. It's hard to watch movies from the 80s with my kids because, um, it is, uh, I don't know. <laughs> as soon as you turn it on, the first thing my son says was, well, it's old. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's old. It's not as old as me, but it's old. You're right. It's old. And they, they seem to enjoy it, uh, The musical sequences, I I don't know if they were into, but uh, they were into, you know, a lot of the um, creature shop characters uh, that are in the film. And I think that Jennifer Connelly, you know, does an excellent job as portraying someone who is out of their element. You know, we've talked about Wizard of Oz. We've talked about uh, films where characters are transported to a different world than their own classifying it as a fantasy because they are in a fantasy world this is probably one of the most fantasy films i'm going to be talking about uh because it you know there's all these different creatures of course in this case you know puppets uh, and then we have um, a very mythical uh, being the goblin king played by david bowie who seems to have pretty you know limitless power really uh and there's so many different magical elements to this film that it is uh, kind of hard to follow. You know, you're just kind of juggling with all these different, like, uh, what what exactly are they capable of uh, scenario. So anyway, let's talk about the cast. We we often do uh, talk about casting choices that were made during the production of a film uh, because it might be something you don't know, Uh you know, this isn't really that kind of podcast. You know, where I, we delve into that stuff. But why not? Why not? Uh, so Henson wanted to make a film that uh, originally, originally uh, was about uh, a king whose baby had been put under an enchantment, uh, and a princess from a fantasy world, and a young girl from Victorian England uh, who is transported to this world of uh, enchantment, and... They decided to scrap that and make the lead a teenage girl from uh, the contemporary world, America, uh, to make the film more commercial. Which is, you know, uh, it's kind of sad, you know, when people kind of bow to the idea of, like, your original idea is this. And it's like, well, we want to make money, so let's just make it this. And they're like, okay, yes, please. (laughs) Originally uh, cast for the role of Sarah. Was Helena Bonham Carter, which could have been a totally different path for her, and uh, resulted in a, a different a different career. But Helena Bonham Carter was passed over in favor of an American actress. Mm. That might not leave the best taste in your mouth. So, and then in January of 1985, they had monthly auditions, uh, which you know. Had everyone from Yasmin Bleeth, Sarah Jessica Parker, Marissa Tomei, uh, Laura Dern from Jurassic Park, uh, Ali Sheedy, Maddie Corman, and Mia Sara, all considered and auditioned for the role of Sarah, uh, but finally ended up being 14-year-old actress Jennifer Connelly, who just won Jim Henson over, and he cast her within a week of her audition. And, you know, I I think she, uh, you know, I've seen all the special features with her in relation to this film, and she she really did have a, a very positive experience with Jim Henson and David Bowie. And David Bowie was not actually the number one pick either. Uh, similar to <laughs> Previous films we've talked about Kevin Klein was originally uh, the initial consideration offered to, uh, so he was he was going to be the Goblin King, Kevin Klein, Kevin Klein. I can't imagine, but again, the music wouldn't have been part of it, right? It would have just been whatever blah 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 music and Kevin Kline in the role. But they decided to go something a little... They tried to change it up. They wanted a a musical style. A musical style for the Goblin King. So Henson eventually wanted uh, someone who was big and charismatic, a star, who could bring the music to the film as opposed to be a part of the music already created for the film. And before choosing who they chose, uh, they were considering Sting... Mick Jagger, Michael Jackson, and my personal choice would have been Prince. Prince was up for consideration. But they chose David Bowie. Oh, I would love to see Prince as a Goblin King. Ah, oh, that'd be cool. I'm <laughs> just saying. If you wanted to you want to get me to make this a cult film, that'll do it. So They went with David Bowie. David Bowie brought, um, you know, the the whole idea is, you know, Sarah is a teenager who's realizing um, she's becoming closer, you know, coming closer to adulthood, which uh, requires responsibility. And the Goblin King is kind of a representation of adulthood. Uh, So that's why David Bowie was a great choice because he does, you know, uh, how to say it, but he's, adult and um, that's why I actually think the other you know Mick Jagger you know sting Michael Jackson Prince would be I I'm a I'm a very big prince fan so I guess I'm kind of biased uh, but just now finding out that he could have been the Goblin King is actually pretty pretty intriguing for me so I guess I am getting a little a little fixated uh, I'll try to uh, I'll try to step away but now that you have really the only two humans that matter. Because uh, everything else is, uh, you know, a human controlling something else. Uh, you got Frank Oz doing it. You got uh, Dave Goles, You got pretty much uh, Steve uh, Wittemeyer, also a veteran puppeteer. So you got everybody you need for your puppeteer. They pretty much took um, everyone who worked on Fraggle Rock, and they now have a job uh, for for this <laughs> for this movie. Uh, they did a lot of production. a lot of post-production visual effects uh, obviously had to be pretty high for this film there's a lot of different things going on not only do you have the whole puppets but you have a lot of different transitional effects a bunch of different lighting effects uh, a bunch of different uh, just magical things happening uh, throughout the course of the film so obviously a lot of time was uh was put into that. Uh, Henson did receive help editing from the executive producer, which was George Lucas. Uh, So I think that probably helped. And uh, then we have our final package, our final package. The film was released in theaters on June 27th, 1986. And unfortunately that was, uh, that was kind of a big day. That was kind of a big day because it did come number eight at the box office and that was with three and a half million dollars, a little over three and a half million dollars. And it was in over a thousand theaters. But it was still number eight. So let me talk about some of the movies that came out that weekend. And I you know, it's so funny. You know, I'm doing the show and I'm kinda reminiscing on the past. And can you imagine if there's a weekend where this many movies came out of this quality and you might disagree i'm going to tell you the movies in a second and i'll start out i'll start out as as kind of a low uh kind of on the low end and then i'll get to the the bigger end same weekend as labyrinth you had these are the films that topped highest i guess i can go in order but I, i won't uh ruthless people okay directed by uh david zucker which starred Danny DeVito, Bette Midler, uh, Judge Reinhold. Very large film. Legal Eagles, which is a Robert Redford film, which is a romantic comedy. So you got a different audience there. Running Scared, uh, which was an action comedy starring Billy Crystal. And then we get into more popular films. One of my favorites, uh, Running Danger films. Back to School came out that weekend. Uh, such a great movie. Robert Robert Downey Jr. is so good in that movie. Chronic Kid Part Two, coming off of Chronic Kid Part One, I mean, people were excited. Same weekend as Labyrinth, and then we get to two of the heavy hitters here, uh, which is Top Gun, came out the same weekend as Labyrinth, and number one at the box office that weekend was. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, an American teen comedy film by John Hughes. And obviously we all know uh, how important that film was and how, you know, just these are these are big movies. And I understand that Labyrinth is also a big film. It's a cult film. Uh, but number eight, and then it dropped to number 13 the following weekend, only earning $1.8 million. Uh, the film grossed twelve point seven million, which is half of its twenty-five million-dollar budget. And today we would call that um, a flop. We would call that a flop. Uh, it did run in other countries and ended up getting uh, worldwide gross of thirty-four million. So it did, you know, made that back with the international release. Uh, it did obviously have a pretty a big open in the UK box office uh, because the film does have um, kind of a UK slant to it in many ways. And it actually even had a Royal charity premiere at the London film festival. And this was um, in December of 1986. You had uh, Charles Prince of Wales, Diana Prince of we- Princess of Wales in attendance uh, along with Jim Henson And they even had um, Ludo. They had uh, one of the animatronic creatures from the film show up to the movie premiere at the London Film Festival. I'm sure that was fun to be in uh, throughout the whole movie. All right, let's get into the reviews. AV Club quote, while the off-kilter rock songs Bowie wrote and performed for the film are far from his best work. His character performance is gloriously iconic. A perfect blend of predatory, leering rock star and hurt-rejected emo lover. Mm. Disturbing. (laughs) Philadelphia Inquirer, quote, An innovative mix of sophisticated puppetry and special effects, Labyrinth has all the components of classic myth. Chicago Tribune, quote, A real masterpiece of puppetry and special effects. Oh, okay. An absolutely gorgeous children's fantasy movie. Okay, a little copy and paste there. I don't know. I don't know. Pretty similar. New York Times, quote, a remarkable achievement, end quote. And the rest are all negative. So, (laughs) decent films, quote, plays like The Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland cross with a middling episode of The Muppet Show, guest starring David Bowie suffers from a distinct lack of charm. Hmm. Washington Post, quote, Unfortunately, this contemporary, at least for the era, fairy tale, directed and co written by Muppets creator Jim Henson, never sets a timely tone beyond the nineteen eighties. It remains disappointingly tethered to yesteryear. Boston Globe, quote, Henson's imagination is boundless, but his movie has no pep. It's a dream in neutral, Slant Magazine, quote, for all its visual inventiveness, visual inventiveness, oh geez, there's something inert about the late Jim Henson's 1986 fantasy adventure Labyrinth. Something inert. Very dim- dismissive reviews. Uh, lastly, Roger Ebert, quote, great energy and creativity went into the construction, production, and direction of this movie but it doesn't have a story that does justice to the production. You know, it's actually, uh, you know, it's straightforward. It's very straightforward. And I think it actually has a conclusion that, you know, we we enjoyed, there was a, you know, a nice misdirect when uh, she appeared to be at home and, uh, you know, the one, trash collector character is uh, talking about all the things she she loves from her room and is kind of distracting her i I actually think that the story is pretty well done uh, yes it is Alice in Wonderland um, with you know a different different element obviously with the trying to find your your half-brother but yeah I really don't think uh, that's a fair Review. Uh, I really think the story is actually uh, pretty pretty well done. Uh, but that's just my opinion. So, sequel talk. Sequel talk. In 2016, it uh, was announced uh, that they hired people to write a script for the sequel. Uh, in 2017, we had a director signed on and a co-writer signed on. Lisa Henson, the daughter of Jim Henson, was named as producer the same year, 2017. Uh, By 2018, the script was complete. And In April 2020, they lost their director. May 2020, they got a new director. The director of Doctor Strange. We got some more people on the writing staff in 2020. Brian Henson... From the Jim Henson Company was set as executive producer and confirmed Lisa Henson as producer. In 2021, February, Jennifer Connolly revealed that she, quote, had conversations, end quote, about being involved in the Labyrinth sequel, but was unsure about what is going to happen. Now, we all know that things were affected by 2020. It's a shame. That a labyrinth sequel might be one of the things affected by that year, 2020. But maybe, if our last update is oh, that's a long time though, February 2021 update. You know, um, there may still be hope. There may still be hope of a possible sequel to this film, and I would I would uh, encourage it. I think it is. It is a movie to revisit in the modern era, and I would not be opposed. I would not be opposed, and you might not be opposed. I don't know. I never know. I never know what you're thinking, uh, but I'm assuming you wouldn't mind a sequel to *The Labyrinth*, because uh, why not? We're doing it with everything else, things that weren't nearly as good. So why not just why not just do this too? All right, so until next time, what am I talking about? What am I talking about next time? Uh, I don't even know if I have a pulled up. I don't. It'll just be a surprise to both of us. I will talk to you next time. Until then, please, please, quoting Demolition Man, be well.